I want to talk to you today about other little ships. Other little ships. We're going to look at Mark chapter 4. We're going to read verses 33 through 41. Now, before we read this text, I want to give you just a little background. On this particular day, Jesus had spent a good part of the day teaching, and he taught by parables this particular day. And so he was teaching, he was preaching about the kingdom of God, the principles of God. He was teaching those things by parables. After he was finished teaching, he pulled aside for a little bit with his disciples, and he kind of did a recap to make sure they understood what he had taught the multitudes. Actually, the multitudes were so thronging around him to make it easier, more effective. He got out on a boat really close to shore, but facing them and then face them. So that way they could come all the way up to the shoreline and crowd in and they could hear him as his voice traveled over the water a short distance. And so this is going on. It says there in verse 33, and with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. When they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. In the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. He's talking about the other side of the Sea of Galilee on what's now the Jordanian side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm rose, and the waves beat up into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, which is the back, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Of course, that's, they're panicking. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Lord, thank you today. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you don't care just about us, but you care about others. And I thank you, Lord, when I was an other, that, that you gathered people around me to bring me to you. And Lord, I pray you'd help us today to bring forth that which you brought to us. We thank you for the opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we see this situation here where Jesus tells them, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. It's interesting, you know, they go to the other side and, you know, they didn't have, they didn't have Evan Rood 40 horsepower, horsepower motors back then. You know that, right? They did it the old-fashioned way, rowing. Rowing machines weren't available then, but that was their rowing machine. They, they paddled by boat across the Sea of Galilee, which is about seven miles wide at the widest part. And so here they're, they're traversing across the lake. And of course, in the Sea of Galilee, if you ever go there, there's mountains on the Jordanian side. They're made out of kind of pink granite. So when the sun shines on them, it looks like they're glowing this pinkish red color. Then on the other side, on the Tiberias side, and the, and the side that's toward Galilee, the, the mountains almost go up into the sky, and you have this big ditch, sort of 
where the Sea of Galilee is, and winds come howling down from the mountains, and they get stuck between the mountains, and they create fierce storms just, just like out of nowhere. And they, they can wreak havoc. But you notice, what was Jesus doing? He was in the back of the boat sleeping. Was he worried? Don't think so. But what I want to look at, this is the only, there are two places where this story is brought out. And this is the only one where it mentions the other little ships. Some, some uh, translations say other little ships, some say boat. We know a boat is a little ship, right? Everybody okay on that? Okay. Make sure we're staying with the context and not going aside or something. But uh, these other little ships, and you know, if you ever go to Israel, you'll they have a copy of one of these uh, boats that would have been back in the time of Jesus that was probably used for a fishing boat, and they've they've preserved it. It's like in this sealed glass thing that has no air so that it doesn't degrade, and it's a preserved fishing boat from the Sea of Galilee, and one of the coolest things I've ever seen. But anyway, they were in that, and all of a sudden, other little Ships came along with them. You know, Jesus didn't tell the other little ships to get away. Leave us alone. This is our ministry. This is our mission. Y'all stay away. And you know, he was going seven miles across the lake to reach one man. The, the, the demon-possessed man in Gadara that chains couldn't even hold this man. He was going over there to cast that demon out of that one man. And then he went and told everybody in town, and they came and actually told Jesus to leave. So he went seven miles across the thing, calmed the storm, to, to reach out to one man just to come all the way back and start ministering again. So that's the kind of love God has. That's really the focus of this is God loves us extremely. God loves men more than you could ever imagine. Um. Jesus told them, first of all, let's look at this text. Jesus tells them across the other side. The other little ships follow them. A great storm comes. Jesus awakened by them, screaming and hollering. Lord, don't you even care that we're, we're going to drown? Well, I learned a principle a long time ago from a preacher, and that is this. You can't sink a boat when Jesus is in it. You just simply can't. God is not going to let His own Son in the flesh die from a from a windstorm on the lake it's just not going to happen so what did he do he took authority over that situation and he told the wind peace and he told the waves be still and they did what he said right so you can't sink a boat with jesus in it jesus was awakened he commanded everything he commanded it happened as he said and of course, the result was everybody feared exceedingly and they were astonished. That means they, it blew their mind. They, it was so amazing, they couldn't, words couldn't explain. They, they couldn't express how glorious, how exciting, how, how awestruck they were from this, how, how it overwhelmed them with the, with the answer that God gave to that situation. Here they were, in their minds, maybe minutes from being destroyed and drowned in the sea by a storm. And here a sudden, it's like bathtub water. No storm, no wind, sun's out. They're all in, in the other little ships. You know, probably, it doesn't say it in here, but you can probably imagine when people are in a storm, they don't always remember everybody else around them. But God gathers people around people. So when they see the effects of God on that life, 
it draws them to God. There's a concept there, and that's mainly what I want to focus on today. I want to look at some principles God shows us through this text of principles to us and others with God. First, we talked about you can't sink a boat with Jesus in it. If you're in a boat with Jesus, it's not going to sink. You can put that in the bank. Your life situation is guided and directed by God, so your life is not all about you. Sometimes we can get caught up in our own life. We can get caught up in our own drama. We can get caught up in our own situation, our own need, and we don't see other people around us. But yet sometimes God uses those people around us so that when they see his answer in your life, it, the effect radiates to them and touches them. So there's a purpose in God using us in connections he draws to us to touch others. God always loves others. God wants to display his glory and power to us and others. When he created all that he created before he created men, he created men. It does not tell us in the Bible how long Adam lived before God took a rib out of his side and, and created Eve. It doesn't tell us. It could have been a year. It could have been a hundred years. It could have been a thousand years. It, the Bible doesn't tell us. So we don't really know. It said, Adam walked with God and cool a day, da 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 and all of a sudden, God says, it's not good for man to be alone. He's going to create a woman. So he puts him in deep sleep, pulls out a rib, fashions a woman. The Bible says he breathed his breath into that clay image. And that man became a living soul by the very breath of God. And he put within that man the ability to reproduce. What if he hadn't done that? If he hadn't done that and Adam failed and brought death on himself, the human race would have been extinguished, right? But thank God we have a God that's really, really smart. When he created everything, he created men to be able to reproduce other little men and women. And the reason for that wasn't just so people could keep going and going. It was so God could multiply his love. So God could multiply his radiance and and share his power and glory and blessing of living with him and knowing him and walking with him to more and more and more people exponentially. That was God's big plan, and it still is. And even when man cut that, segmented that thing and struck that thing off, and he cut off that relationship with God by a sin that he invoked in his life, the first thing God did was immediately he came to man with an answer, didn't he? I have an answer. You've sinned. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. You're going to suffer in childbearing. You're going to work by the sweat of your brow. These are your things. Now you're both going to die. But I'm going to send one whom he'll crush the serpent's head, but the serpent's going to bruise his heel. We know that who that is, right? Somebody tell me who that is. That's Jesus, right? So when Jesus came to this world, it's only because of God's love. God loved man so much that he didn't want man to perish. In fact, it says in Second uh, Peter 3, 9, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. That really is God's plan and, and purpose, but he gives man his own free will. He can come to him if he wants. He can reject him if he wants. 
We know many that came to Jesus for the loaves and fishes. But really their hearts weren't in following him. They just wanted to see a magic show. They just wanted to see something exciting beyond the humdrum day-to-day life. They fought, listened to his teaching for hours, but many didn't put it into practice. He said, every hearing but not re- perceiving. You know, or you're hearing but you're not doing. And so James gives his whole talk about hearing the word versus doing the word. And so there's principles here. And we would need to be aware of these. The gospel, by the way, is for whosoever believes in him may not perish but have everlasting life. So we have a whosoever will gospel. And so how are the whosoever's going to know about God's power and God's authority and God's might and his faithfulness and his love and his faith in his calling us to walk with him if he doesn't do it through us? That is his plan. That's the plan God chose. I will work through you. I will work through you. I will work through you. I am going to work my will and my purpose through you to show others around you that I am who I say I am so that they may know me and they may walk with me. That's God's master plan. And so God has always loved others. And so there's always going to be other little ships in your life. And when storms come... You're going to have to know the things that this that I'm going to teach you today because it will help you get through the storm. It will help you know there's a purpose in the storm. And when you get through the storm, the sun always comes out. You see these storms lately where there's hail and there's tornadoes and there's fierce weather going on. The day after that, if it's not more of that, the sky's the bluest it's ever been. The air's clean from all the crud. It's like, almost like the storm was a filter of some kind. And everything's blue. Everything's crisp. Everything's clear. Everything seems better. And that's the way it is when God moves in a powerful way in the middle of our storm. He tells us, go to the other side. And so we're, we're following God. We're doing what God says. We're, we're going in the direction He shows us. All of a sudden, the storm comes. Where in the world did this come from? I didn't ask for this. I didn't sign up for this. This ain't my job. God, why me? Be careful saying that. Because one time I saw a little cartoon, I think it was a Ziggy, and he said, why me, Lord? And the the next little bubble came down, want to know? Want a list? (laughs) I can give you a list if you want a list. Why not you? God created man greatly loved in his chief creation. Out of all the creations of man, he truly did save the best for last. He created man on the sixth day. He created everything else before because he knew that man would need those things created in the first five days to support him when he was made on the sixth. So isn't it neat how God sets things in place that we're going to need before we need them? That kind of sounds like a scripture that says God knows our needs before we ask Him, doesn't it? Doesn't the Bible say that? Hello? He knows what we need before we ask Him. So does He not care about us when we're in the storm? Well, that's what the disciples say. Lord, don't you even care that we're going to die in this storm? We're perishing. The boat's full of water. Get up. Quit slacking. 
He gets up and what does he do? He rebukes their lack of faith. In East Texan, he would have said, don't you know that you can't sink a boat when I'm in it? But he didn't say that. What it's recorded that he says is, have you no faith? In other words, should, shouldn't they have known that after all the miracles they had already seen that he was God's son? Shouldn't they know if he's God's son, God's not going to let him and those with him be destroyed? Yet they were panicking. In the midst of the storm, they're knee-jerking and panicking. And you know what? When we get in our storm, we can panic and we can knee-jerk. And we can do all kinds of things that are out of our mind and out of our reaction instead of thinking, what is God doing? God, show me what you're doing here. What are you going to do here? You know, a year ago, I was unemployed. Unemployed, totally. No job. From February to August, no job. Well, I could do two things. That was a storm for me. Because I'd had a really good job before that. And I really liked it. I said, didn't have that job. It went bye-bye. Well, I can either whine and groan and moan and say, God, don't you even know I'm going through this? Well, it says he knows here steps the Lord or the steps of righteous order of the Lord. So obviously he knew I was going through that, right? He knows I'm there. So why should I panic? The boat's not going to sink. He's not going to let that happen. So you know what I did? I just started trusting God. God's going to provide the job. I had eight or 10 or 12 resumes out, eight or 10 interviews all set up with these really high-end high companies. All of a sudden, COVID hit. Bam, doors shut. Calls don't come. For three months, never even had a call. One, not even one response. So what I do? I came down here when pastor needed help, and I started digging bushes up out of the, out, out of the planters. I started doing stuff for people, digging out ditches, gardening, just whatever I had to do to stay busy and keep trusting God. And you know what? In the due time, when it was God the answer, he gave me, now, the best job I've ever had. On paper, I wasn't even qualified for the job I had, but he told me when I applied for this job, and this person called me about it, I was thinking, gosh, I've never been a program director. 70 employees, I've never been over more than eight or 10 people. 70, gosh. And the Lord kept showing me, do not pull back from what I've appointed you for. If I've called you for this, I will equip you and I will enable you for this. So you, you step out in confidence and you be what I set you up to be. Okay. Well, as I say, the rest is history. I've had this job since August 3rd last year. I have 71 or two employees. It's the greatest job I've ever had. Um, nothing against the four square, but once you're 55, you probably never ever be a pastor again. And so, hey, I'm a pastor now. I'm a shepherd over 70 people, and I get to show them about Jesus. I get to show them about how God moves in my life, and it touches their lives. And so there's not a better opportunity I could have ever been given than what I've been given now. So you see, even in the midst of your storm, we don't have to panic because God is with us in the storm. And he will rebuke the winds, and he will tell the, the waves, be still and they will obey him. Amen? Now I want to go into 
four actions of God that He shows us here of how God moves in our behalf when we're in a storm to reach the others that He's gathered around us. He wants to touch us, but He wants to touch those others that He's gathered around us. You know, everybody here I was sharing knew that I was out of that job last year, and my family knew, and there were other people that are circled around my life that knew I didn't have a job. And then when this thing came and it happened the way it happened, it, it reached out and touched everybody in a, in a marvelous way. And that's how God wants to do it. And so I'm going to show you four things that he does, that he did here, that he does every single time, so that when you're in a storm, you'll know that this isn't God picking on you. This isn't just the devil. This is something God allowed you to be placed in so he could do these four things in your life to reach others around you and to touch you. First one, he convinces, and you'll see it in the notes here. He convinces. What does he convince? Well, he convinces of his power and authority. What was the one statement the, the disciples made once they started stopped freaking out? Who is this? Even the winds and waves obey his voice. What does that show? That shows that they understood he had the power and the authority to tell the wind, peace in the water, be still. And you know what? The wind got peaceful and the water got still like bathtub water. No more storm. Why? Because he invoked his authority into that situation. He demonstrated his power his supreme power in that situation. So God's first thing that he likes to do when you're in a storm and he's going to come touch you and the others he's gathering around you, he wants to establish the fact that he has power and he has authority over every situation in your life in those others' lives. So he wants to convince us of his power and his authority. The second thing he does he confirms. What does he confirm? Well, thank you very much for asking. I'll tell you. His faithfulness and love. He loved his disciples. He was faithful to them. He took them everywhere he went. He never left them anywhere. Even when they stumbled over and tripped over the feet, sometimes Peter was actually ambifutrous, not ambidextrous. He could stick both his feet in his mouth at the same time. Then when he did that, he landed on his you-know-what because he didn't have anything to stand on. When you put both feet in your mouth, you're going to fall on your hiney because you don't have a leg to stand on then, right? But he was faithful. He kept loving Peter. He kept loving the disciples even when they stepped in cow patties, even when they did stupid things, even though they did boneheaded things, even though they totally went off script from what he asked them to do, he still remained faithful. How does that reply to us? Because even when you step in a cow patty, you do something really boneheaded, you do something really stupid. I remember Pastor Gary talking about stupid things, stupid things, stupid things. Remember him saying all that? Stupid. It was just stupid. I had just a stupid moment. Well, even when we have a stupid moment, we have something that makes you think, gosh, what in the world was you thinking about? How in the world did you do that? Do you have a brain? You do one thing like that, just remember, He still loves you. He's still faithful. 
He's not going to leave you or forsake you because you turn into a bonehead for a minute. He's going to take the bones in your head and he's going to soften and say, it's okay, you little Ronnie. You're going to be okay. I still love you. Hang in there, buddy. I got this. And he does. If you let him. How does this affect others? Well, when people see his power, they're convinced of his power. Sometimes. When they see his power, they can't deny it. I've, I've shared one of the best things you can do to witness to people when they don't want to just hear, well, let me tell you the Roman road. Do you mind if I talk to you through the Roman road? And they're like, the Roman road, what's that? Some kind of bread? They're thinking Roman meal bread. What, what, Roman road? What are you talking about? Some history thing or something? No, it's how to get saved. No, Jesus. Don't you want to know Jesus? One of the best ways I've ever been on witness people is simply give testimonies of astounding things that God's done in my life. You know, let me tell you about this one thing, and I tell them about something, and they're, they're awestruck. They can't deny an experience. It convinces them that was the authority of God. That was the power of God. They can't explain that away, right? And also, when he shows his faithfulness and his love to me, even when I might not have deserved it, that establishes his faithfulness to them, too. Because he's faithful to me, maybe he'll be faithful to them. Maybe he loves me even when I do boneheaded things. Maybe he'll love them when they do. So he's always reaching us, and he's always reaching those around us. So he convinces of his power and authority. He confirms his faithfulness and love. Next, he compels to strengthen or to have faith. What did he tell the disciples? Do you not have any faith? What happened to you? You have no faith. You think, I'm going to let myself sink in the middle of a lake in a storm? They didn't have any faith. They needed their faith strengthened. They needed to have faith to know God's got this no matter how scary it is, whatever you're going through, no matter how scary it is, no matter how ner unnerving it is, no matter how anxiety-provoking it is, no matter how much it is trying to shake your world, it is not going to destroy you. Psalm 91 lists all kinds of things. It shall not come nigh your dwelling. A thousand may fall at your right hand and ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. We can believe that or we don't believe it. But if we believe it, we're going to be in the plow furrow. We're going to be in the row. Our rows are going to be straight. They might have a little crook in them every now and then, but God is going to straighten it all out in the long run. But he compels to have faith. He taught, was always telling his disciples, have you no faith? Have faith. He, t he told people, be it as you believe, according to your, to, to, to your belief, so be it. God, do you, if you will, if you will, make, make my blind eyes open, be it so according to your will, to your faith. He told the man that had been paralyzed for 37 years. I used to think that was kind of rude, a little bit. Here's a guy that's been paralyzed so long, his muscles don't even probably work, and he tells him, do you want to get well? And I'm like, Jesus, do you want to get well? It just said right there, he's been paralyzed 37 years. Of course he wants to get well. Why would you ask a question like that? 
Because everybody doesn't want to get well. You know that? Some people get to where they get a lot of attention from that illness or that sickness or that thing that pulls them down. And they get a lot of extra, extra accessories. And so it gets to where they get used to that coddling and that pampering and the, oh, let me wipe your mouth, you poor little thing. Oh, you're sweating. Oh, poor little Billy. You know, and there might have been Harushkar or something. I don't know. It probably wasn't Billy. It was in Israel. But he comes and he tells the man, he's making excuses. Well, you know, when the angel troubles the water, first one in gets it, and I don't get in. There are many times I started to get my tits in the water, and I tripped, and I fell in the water and got all wet and didn't even get healed. It was just sick. And my family has to sit me out here all day, and I sit out here in the sun. Jesus didn't even address all day. He said, do you want to get well? He said, take up your bed and walk. He didn't say, here, let me wake you up. Hey, 12 disciples, pick this man up. He told him, get up and walk. Man had no muscles left, had no strength in his legs probably. He told him, get up and walk. Why? Because he wanted that man to do something in faith beyond himself. And what did that man do? He got up and walked, didn't he? Why? Because God has the authority. When he tells you, get up and walk, you better get up and walk. Because he's appointed that for you. He's got the authority for you. He's got the confirmation of his faithfulness and love upon you. And he's compelling you to have faith. But faith takes action. Faith is not dormant. Faith is not labile. Faith is action-oriented. Faith requires action. Faith without works is dead. 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 Works equals action. So we have to be willing to stand. And in fact, Ephesians 6 tells that, doesn't it? When you've done all to stand, stand. You put on the whole armor of God, and when you've done everything that you can within your power to fight through that storm, you stand in the boat, and you claim God's Word, and God, I know you have the authority over this situation, and you have power to bring this healing. You have power to resolve this situation. You have power and authority to bring this job to me. God, you are faithful and you love me and I know you care about me. God, you're asking me to have faith. I believe you're going to do this. Show me, God. Show up that those around me may know that I have faith in you and that you're the real God and you're the true living Savior. What's going to happen? He's going to answer that need, isn't he? Because he loves people and he loves you. So we know that he convinces, he confirms, and he compels. The last thing he does, he calls. He walked to, to his disciples, and two of them, it says they were fishing with their father, and another that was a fishing mate was washing their nets. It's a lot of work, calling the net and cleaning it and seaming it back, and any holes that gets in it have to be mended, and they're doing all this work. Jesus walk, walks up right in the middle of his work part, and he says, come and follow me. And you know what he does? He started walking away. You know what they did? The Bible says they dropped everything they had, and they followed him. 
Jesus is calling you to walk with him. He calls us to walk with him. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man lets me in, what does it say? I'll come in with him and I'll step with him and he with me. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. What is he doing? That's the invitation to come to him and walk with him. My disciples are those who hear my word and obey it. That means to do what he says in his word. So his disciples are those who hear this and do it. They walk it out. The daily walk of the, the gospel in our life. It's that, it's that calling. He calls us to walk with him. He called out to Adam to walk with him in the cool of the day. He came and called to Moses when he stood at the Red Sea. He called David, hey, there's a giant I need you to conquer over here because the army's acting like a bunch of mamby-pambies. I need you, a little 15-year-old, 16-year-old, go over here and show them how a man needs to do. And so he called him to walk with him. He calls us to walk with Him. How does He call? He calls you by drawing you to Himself through others, by being one of those others, or in your own life, intervening for you to show you that He has authority over your life. He has power over your life. He is faithful to you, and He loves you, and He's compelling you to have faith in Him, to believe in Him, to walk in Him, and He's inviting you. If you want to come to Me, if you're weary in, 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 in many things, then come to me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come and learn of me. That's an invitation. Calling. He's calling us. Paul talked about the hope of his calling. What calling is he talking about? He's talking about God calling him to walk with him. Paul also talks about, this is one of the coolest verses in the Bible, it talks about us having the upward call of God in Christ. We have an upward call of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's calling us upward into His realm. He's calling us to have His life and His power and His love imparted into us so we can be representatives of Him to others that He's Surrounding our life by. Your circle might be a little circle. Your circle might be a so-so circle. Your circle might be a great big circle. It does not matter. What matters is faithfulness. Responding to these four things. Knowing that He has the power and authority in your life and acknowledging that. Submitting to that. Knowing that He's faithful and He loves you and He always will and that's never going to stop. That should energize you to want to be compelled to have faith and to get strengthened and strengthened and strengthened in your faith. And every time you have to believe God for something and He comes through, that's, that faith ought to get stronger and stronger and stronger. Do you know that when people, you see the Olympics and you see these big old guys, most of them have a big old belly. I don't know why that works, but maybe they lift with their belly. I don't know. But you'll see these great big old guys like Thor or something. And they'll have this 900, this, this Oleg Halishishika is going to pull up 982.55 kilograms of weight. And you see this bar and it's so heavy that the bar is bending. And this big old dude takes this thing and he goes, Rah! 
And then he goes, when he drops things, he's like, boom, you know. How does that person lift the 915 pounds? Well, he starts out lifting about 200. Then when his body gets used to the 200, he goes up from 225, I think it is actually in weightlifting, to about 300, 310. And it does that a few times. And his body adjusts to that 300 pounds. Then he goes up to 450. And he goes up to 500. He goes up a little more. When he gets within 100 pounds of what his lift's going to be, then his body's conditioned to it. Why? Because he's had all those lifts to make him stronger. And God, that's how your faith works with God. The more lifts you have, the stronger you become. The more things you have to lift and press against, the more he gives you strength to overcome those things. And he intervenes and he shows you these things. And the more you're convinced of ever that he is on your side and he's got your life in his hands and you're just going to press more and more and more and pretty soon there's not going to be anything that can stop you. Amen? He's a wonderful Savior. Let's look at some examples of where we see God using a person or persons in reaching other people in a, in a bigger way. One of those things I can think of is David and Goliath. I know Pastor preached about that not too long ago. Here's the children of Israel. They're on one side. The Philistines are on the other side. Goliath comes out, and he's really basically heckling them, making fun of them, telling them what a bunch of sissies they are. Why don't you come out and fight like a man, whatever, you know, antagonizing them. And they're just scared little wimps, scared to go fight him. And all of a sudden, David remembers he's really just going to take them a little sack lunch. The daddy tells him, hey, come in here from doing the sheep and go take this lunch to your brothers. They're out on the battlefield. Okay. David walks up expecting who knows what being going on. He sees everybody just camped out sitting there scared. And he's like, what are y'all doing? And he's, about that time, Goliath comes out and he's like, that's stupid. I, I had a bear that came out and God gave put the bear in my hands. And then there was a lion. And the lion came to hurt my sheep and God gave me victory over the lion and you know what if God protected me from the bear and the lion he'll protect me from this uncircumcised Philistine and the Bible says he ran and he couldn't even hold the army so here you take this you'll need it I don't need it I got God's armor and Goliath actually had an armor bearer which is a person that held up a big old shield and um it's kind of funny about that because uh, you know that person probably ran. It doesn't say he did, but I don't know where he went, but everybody else in Philistine ran, so I'm sure that guy hauled Heine when he saw that what happened. And he gets five smooth stones, and he starts, he starts his thing. And the Bible doesn't say he walked up and got cocky. He just said, I'm going to take your head off, and I'm going to take you down. Come here, you little dog. You come to me like you're some, you think I'm some little... Wimp, I'm, I'm the champion. I'm Goliath. I'm going to feed you to the vultures. Well, we'll see about that. And he gets that sling going. He throws that thing and it hits him in the forehead. The only place his whole body didn't have armor. And it hits him in the head so far it sinks into a skull. And he falls face forward. David goes there and takes his big old sword that he could barely hold. Whack! Chops his head off with his own sword. Pulls his head up. Looky here, you suckers. 
Then what happened? Then all of a sudden, look at the effects. The people on the other side that were wimps, all of a sudden, they're acknowledging this is the power and authority of God. This is the faithfulness and love of God displayed. This is a compelling of faith. It's time to get up and move. And you know what? It said they chased the Philistines till dark, striking them down. But it took that one guy to stand up and believe God and look at the effect it had on everybody. Another one you could think take all day. I don't want to take all day, just my little piece. And I'm almost done. One more. Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. They were actually doing God's will. He was asking God, should I go to Asia? Nope. Should I go here? Nope. Should I go to Bithynia? Nope. Yep. Here's the Macedonian man vision. So he goes to Macedonia. The very first thing, he's going, and some of these ladies at the river are starting to get saved, and he's discipling them every day, and man, he's going to prayer, and he's doing great. And all of a sudden, this demon-possessed slave girl starts heckling every day. And one day, boy, it just got all over him. And God's Spirit rose up in Paul, and he said, I'm tired of this demon. And he rebuked that demon and made it come out of her. And then those slave, those slave owners lost all their money. I'd be like a sorcerer not being able to source anymore. Fortune tellers not haven't been able to tell anything anymore, so they're not making any fortune. And so all of a sudden, you would think everybody'd be cheering, right? Not so. In fact, they beat them almost to death, put them in the inner cell of the prison, and you don't hear, that's probably in the morning, you don't hear about them until midnight. It says about midnight, Paul and Silas begin to sing hymns and praise the Lord. Can you imagine that? What would some of us be doing? God, you called me to go to that field. God, you said to do this. And now, look what happened to me. What's so kind of suffering? Oh my gosh, you know? But you know what? God was surrounding him by those prisoners and that jailer. And all of a sudden, when they started praising God, God showed his power and authority. He sent an earthquake. That earthquake hit the center of that prison so hard. The Bible says it blew all the doors open. All the chains, not just on Paul and Silas. They had chains on and shackles on their, their wrists and their feet, their ankles. All of a sudden, all of them popped. All of them, not just Paul and Silas. Everybody's chains broke. Why did God do that? Because He wanted everybody to know this was His power. This was His faithfulness and love. This was His compelling of faith because they were willing to praise the Lord in the midst of a difficulty. And God's answer was, I'm going to show you. And because of that, the jailer got saved, the whole family got saved, and a church was planted in Philippi through a terrible, awful thing that someone had to go through. See, we might have to go through some terrible, awful things, but in the midst of it, God's going to have His way. He's going to show out, and He's going to show what amount of love He has for this world through you and through me to those around us. He's going to show us, and He's going to show those around us. His authority and power, His faithfulness and love, His faith that will strengthen in us as we activate it. And He's going to call us to walk with Him. He's calling those around you that don't know Him to walk with Him also. We should never have the attitude, oh, those little sinners. I actually went to a church one time where this lady, I hate to say it, but 
She was in a family of Assembly of God leaders. Her, her family was known, a very well-known name. In fact, I won't say the name because somebody here probably knows them. But her concept one day in our adult class that we had was she didn't really understand why we were wanting to reach out. People ain't going to come to church anyway. Church is for, for people in the church. And I was like, I looked at Phyllis, did you hear what she just said? Church is just for those in church. Where's that in here? I, I didn't ever see that one. I, I, I lost the addendum. I never see where it said church is just for those in church. Well, if somebody like that thinks that, maybe there's others that do, but, but I'm here to tell you today, God cares about others. He don't just care about you. So when you're going through something, whether it's a sickness, whether it's a loss of some kind, <clears throat> whether it's a difference in situation, a, a difficult time you're going through, just remember, God's got the power and authority over your life. He loves you and is faithful. He will never leave you or forsake you. He's going to compel you to have faith and be strong in that faith. And He's going to walk with you through that difficulty. And He is going to bring the answer in His time. We might not always like His answer, but His answer is the right one. You know, interestingly enough, everybody doesn't follow what God does. But you know what? That does not give us an exemption to stand out for Him. Did you know that? doesn't give us an excuse to not let our light shine. He tells us to be like a light. Instead of a light set on a hill, it can't be hidden. You don't, you don't get a lantern and put a, put a covering over it to block it out. You put the lamp on a lampstand where it gives light to everybody in the house. God's wanting us to light up the world with Him through us. He's wanting to show people how He parts the Red Sea. He's wanting to show people how we break down prison chains and prison walls. He's wanting to hear the marvelous things God's doing and has done in your life so they can believe that He'll do it in their life. God's calling people to walk with Him, including you and those He surrounds with you and by you and around you. You know, the sad thing is Jesus went over there to deliver the Gadara demoniac, a man got delivered, and Jesus told him, go and tell those in the city what God's done for you. And the man went and witnessed everybody, and do you know what the people in the town did? Somebody tell me. They asked him to leave. They came to Jesus, and they asked, the Bible says, they asked him to leave. Here, this man that they couldn't control, that they had to chain out at the cemetery in the tombs, and the chains couldn't even hold him. He'd break the chains. He gets delivered. And the one that delivers it, you tell him to leave? Are you like the stupidest person in the world? Or what? This man could break a chain that's around his arm and leg with the strength of the devil. And this man comes to deliver him. You don't want to ask him to heal you? You don't want him to heal your sick Grandma, are you that's sick? Or do some kind of thing that he might do in your life or maybe listen to a little bit of what he has to say? You're going to go out and say, we'd really like you to leave. Well, you know what? There's going to be people in your life when God shows out, they're not going to know what to do with it. They're going to reject him and they're going to want you to leave. 
And what does the Bible say about that? If you go to a place and the people send you off, shake the dust off your feet and keep on walking with Jesus. Because you know what? We can love people to Jesus. We can't force them. People have their own choice. And many, many, many people did not follow Jesus. Many, even in spite of all he did, hated him even more because they were the religious leaders. You know, they didn't do any miracles. They didn't do any signs or wonders, but they want to hate him because he shows them up because they're not doing a really good job at all being what they're supposed to be. They just like the position. They just like the, the pomp and the piety and the specialty of knowing they're really somebody without having one inkling of righteousness in their heart. All they wanted was their greedy little position. There'll be people in life, they want their sin. They want their life. They want everything their way on their terms and their way and their manner and nothing else is going to ever be good. And they're not going to accept him. I had a neighbor who lived next door to me for over two years. I went over there many times. I remember one time, he had bought this boat, and his wife really didn't like that he bought this boat. By the way, I think he might not have asked her. Wives kind of don't like it when you go buy a bass boat and don't tell them, you know. Hey, guess, look what I got, honey. You did what? It was how much? Well, you're not in the doghouse. You, you, you back behind the doghouse now. Anyway, he was trying to sell this bass boat. I mean, it had all the bells and whistles. It was a nice bass boat. And he tried for three months to sell that bass boat. And he had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of people because we had sure backyards with the chain link fence dividing them. And I seen people when I was tinkering around my yard over there looking at his boat. Nobody ever bought it. You know what? The Lord showed me one day, go over and tell him, I want you to start praying for him. And I walked over and I said, Austin, I tell you what, buddy. I started telling testimonies how I prayed and asked God for this, and God answered my prayer. I started telling them how, how my daughter, my granddaughter, was born without a heart valve. How God created a heart valve through prayer and faith in that little girl. And she's one of the happiest, joyous, full of fireball energy girls you've ever seen now. She's five. And I told them about that. And I said, you know what? Because I've prayed many times in my life for the Lord to, to answer prayers, and he has. I'll tell you what, he knows that it's important for you to sell that bass boat. In Austin, I'm going to pray to the Lord Jesus that he helps you sell your boat. Do you know what? He had that boat sold in five days. Five days. He couldn't sell it for three or four months on his own. I started praying for him every single day. God, show him that you're an authority. Confirm to him that you love him and that you're trying to compel him to have faith in you and you're calling him to walk it with you. And he helped that boy sell that boat in five days, but he couldn't sell in three or four months. I'm telling you. But you know what? It was like one of those people that, oh, that's nice. Oh, thank you, man. That's great. Sold the boat. Never really took root. All the times I shared things with him and we tried to be friendly and be nice, I, they just showed up the other day just out of the blue. 
His wife tells my wife, well, we're separating. We're selling our house. He's going to live with his parents. and I don't know what I'm going to do, but maybe live with my sister. So they're all split up. What does that show me? That shows me when you're in the world and God's calling you and you're not listening, you're, you're going to hit the rocks. He'll calm the storm. He, he helped them sail the boat. He was trying to show them. The people at Gadara, they sent Jesus away when he did the miraculous. Sometimes people are going to, they're, they're going to listen to what you say, but it's really not going to sink into their head, into their heart. And, and you know what? I can't do one thing. My heart grieves for this young man, this lady. He's a union electrician. She's a manager at a, at a Midlothian insurance company, and they're a sweetest, cutest little couple. They've known each other since like the 10th or 11th grade. And to see all that come crashing down and burning just breaks my heart. But you know what? I can't make them love each other. I can't make them serve Jesus. I can pray for them. I can tell them. I can give them witness. I can do everything in the world. But you're not going to make anybody serve Jesus. He's going to serve them if he, people are going to serve them if they want to. So if you get a rejection or two, don't let it bother you. Jesus had more than you'll ever have. And he didn't quit trooping along. He kept doing exactly what he meant to do. I appreciate your faithfulness today. As we begin to prepare to listen to a last song, I want you to think really, really closely about the things you've heard today and if you're zooming today my blessings are with you too i love y'all everybody i hope god's touched your hearts but i want to ask you today you know if one of these things is a little bit off and maybe you're not sure about how god's shown his power and authority in your life maybe you need to open that back up a little bit maybe you're not sure about the confirmation of his love and faithfulness if that's, something's damaged there, ask him to heal it. Ask him to show up and be faithful again and to help you. He's not ever going to throw you away. If you come back to him and you've done something you think's too bad, it's never too bad. He's compelling you to have faith. Maybe you're feeling like, man, I don't feel like I have much faith. Well, then, then take one step at a time toward things when you have the opportunity and commit to that today. Maybe he's called you to walk with him in a deeper way than maybe you've kind of pushed him aside. Maybe you've kind of resisted a little bit. Maybe you haven't really fully went into all that he has for you for whatever reason. He wants you to know today that he still loves you. He's still calling you to walk with him. And he really, really wants you to let him in your life in a deeper way. Lord, I pray over these that are here today and those who are Zooming. Father, may... Any under the sound of our voice today be touched by your word, compelled by your spirit, and, and directed to you by your love and your power and your graciousness, your faithfulness, your love and your calling, Lord. We love you and we bless you and we thank you for everything that you do in our lives and how you touch others through us, Lord. We recommit ourselves to let ourselves be used by you to touch others around us today, Lord, and every day from here forth. Thank you.